This free program is paid for by the listener members of KPFK. If you're not already a member, consider joining with us and keep free speech alive. You're going to love this. Just love it. I know why. It's Pacifica. I get to say whatever I want. No corporate control. The public airwaves. Yes, I am. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you right here on KPFK Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher radio app, on the TuneIn radio app, on the Progressive Voices channel, and yes, 110,000 blazing watts of your public airwaves across the Southland here in Southern California. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, here with you for another live hour. we got a uh, another big show for you today. Uh, and we're going to be talking in a little bit, uh, we, as you know, if you listen to the broadcast, if you follow my work at bradblog.com, you know we, we uh, sort of specialize in elections and not really the horse races as much as the track conditions for those elections. Well, we're going to have a couple of election-related stories coming up a little bit later in this hour, one of them concerning Stephen Colbert, actually Stephen Colbert's sister, Elizabeth Colbert Bush is going to be running in a special election as a Democrat next month against the uh, disgraced, or should we say the formerly disgraced, former governor of South Carolina, Mark Sanford. He won the, um, at least he was declared the winner yesterday of the GOP primary runoff. So he will be facing off on May 7th against Stephen Colbert's sister, for the congressional uh, U.S. House special uh, election in the 1st District in South Carolina. It's a very Republican district, at least it was in the 2012 election. Uh, and yet, Colbert Bush is said to be leading right now, leading Mark, Mark Sanford by three or four points. But that's not what I'm going to tell you about. I'm going to tell you... The story that you won't otherwise hear, you may not even otherwise hear it at all. Uh, if you do hear it anywhere in the corporate media, it will be after it is too late. So I'll be talking to you about that in a little bit. Also have an update for those of you who may remember last year, the GOP voter registration fraud scandal, which we covered in, uh, in great detail in the run up to the uh, to the presidential election as the Republican firm hired to do registration work around the country in uh, seven or eight key swing states. 
was found to be submitting fraudulent registrations. And in fact, one of those um, folks who worked for that firm was arrested in Virginia just days before the presidential election when he was spotted tossing voter registration forms into a dumpster behind a strip mall. We've got an an update in that story coming up later this hour as well. So you're going to want to hang on for that. And, of course, Desi Doyen will be joining us, as usual, for the Green News Report. So plenty straight ahead. But first, um, Shadows of Liberty is a new documentary film. It features... Uh, faces and voices uh, that I know you're familiar with here on KPFK, uh, folks like Julian Assange, John Nichols, Dan Rather, Amy Goodman, Robert Perry, Robert McChesney, Dan Ellsberg, many more, including yours truly. Uh, I appear in the film as well, but uh, don't let that dissuade you. It's an excellent film anyway. It reveals the extraordinary truth behind commercial news media in the U.S., censorship, cover-ups, and corporate control. Filmmaker Jean-Philippe Tremblay takes a journey through the darker corridors of the commercial U.S. media system where global conglomerates call the shots, which they do not do here at KPFK Pacifica. For decades, their overwhelming influence has distorted news journalism and compromised its values. The film has its U.S. premiere right here in uh, in Southern California on Thursday. It'll be on uh, KCET, I'm happy to say. Uh, let's see, Thursday, April 5 at 8 p.m., uh, both Eastern and Pacific. And it will also be on Link TV nationwide on uh, Dish Channel 9410 and Direct TV Channel 375. That is on, actually, I'm sorry, that is on Friday. It will be premiering, but it will also be streaming online beginning tomorrow, Thursday, April 4 at 9.30 p.m. Uh, at shadows.kcetlink.org. I'll give that address out a few times because you are going to want to watch this entire film. Uh, here to talk about this entire film is the filmmaker Jean-Philippe Tremblay. He's a native of Quebec. He joined Doc Factory, the organization, uh, the independent documentary production house uh, that made Shadows of Liberty, the media monopoly in American journalism. He began filming Shadows of Liberty in 2006. It was completed last year, and it, as I say, it debuts this Friday on KCET uh, and Link TV, and it will be streaming online for free tomorrow at shadows.kcetlink.org here to talk with us about this film which uh by the way i think is terrific uh is jean-philippe tremblay the filmmaker uh jean-philippe welcome sir to kpfk's broadcast thank you very much brad so great to have you here and uh, congratulations on the film uh really enjoyed it got to watch it over the weekend uh, just some really interesting stuff. A lot of stories that I was actually, uh, familiar with a lot of it, but you found a lot of elements that even I didn't know about. And we're going to get to some of those in, in, uh, in a bit here. I've got some uh, extended clips I'd like to play from the film. But before we get there, um, today, I should point out, uh, Greg Mitchell at The Nation notes that, uh, three years ago today, Julian Assange in Iceland prepared for the release of Collateral Murder, the uh, the video from Iraq uh, that was uh, allegedly released by Bradley Manning. 
that really, I think, uh, you know, put WikiLeaks on the map. That was three years ago today, and ten years ago, just a few days ago, um, the beginning of the Iraq War, in which our country was lied into war. How do you uh, do? You see those two issues uh, speaking to each other, uh, Jean Philippe. In one case where you had a country lied into war, and another case where Julian Assange uh, years later releases uh, what is actually going on in this war. Do you think that was, uh, and I know that's in your film as well, but do you think the uh, the release of that information, the creation of WikiLeaks, is sort of a direct response to the media failures that we saw in the lead-up to the Iraq War? Yes, uh, thank you, Brad. Um uh, I just want to start off by saying thank you again for uh, having me, and it's just uh, just a real pleasure to uh, be. Uh, I mean, I'm talking to you from Canada, from Montreal, but uh, in, es- in essence, uh, I'm speaking to the United States today, to California, mm-hmm. and I just want to say what a pleasure it is to finally be in the United States <laughs> after we have finished the film. We finished the film over a year ago mm-hmm. and uh, have attempted to come and, and, and screen it and, sh- and show it in the United States, and now we finally have the chance, and uh, that's why we're speaking today. So it's just a pleasure to be here, and, and thank you again for having me. My pleasure, and I, and I have some specific questions about that, but first let, let me hit this, uh, this point on uh, Iraq and WikiLeaks. Yes, well, uh, uh, like you mentioned, uh, uh, we do talk about these two uh, uh, subjects in the film. Mm -hmm. On the Iraq war, uh, it's a lie. Uh, It was sold by the mainstream media, and uh, that's what we talk about in the film. We talk to people from from the New York Times and uh, other mainstream media who explain how this fictitious uh, story uh, that uh, started the Iraq War was publicized on the mainstream media. Uh, and uh, now when we talk about WikiLeaks, we have a, an organization that is uh, pushing the envelope on what we are able to publish. I mean, through WikiLeaks, we have found out uh, information about corrupt governments, about uh, corrupt organizations, how they operate, and uh, what's interesting about WikiLeaks is they do, uh, I mean, I call it new journalism. It's journalism like we've never seen it before. It's, first of all, it's using the Internet, uh, which is the most powerful communications tool that we've ever seen uh, throughout history. Uh, they can publish, uh, which they have done, they, they publish uh, half a million classified documents uh, uh, about uh, uh, about what the American government has done in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, through those documents, we find out about a lot of the actions have been corrupt, uh, have been unanswered. And uh, like you mentioned as well, uh, collateral murder, this uh, uh, video clip about... Uh, uh, American helicopters uh, shooting down uh, citizens in Iraq. Uh, you know, it did put WikiLeaks on the map, and uh, it's important for us to to really notice uh, what's happening uh, with WikiLeaks, what opportunities we have with the internet and with independent media uh, to approach a, a new journalism and to uh, keep 
power accountable because that's what journalism is all about. We're trying to ask the right questions. We're trying to find out what are doing in our name in countries. Uh, let me play. What it's about. Let me play a clip, uh, Jean Philippe, uh, from the film. This is from Shadows of Liberty, and it's a short clip where Julian Assange speaks of just that. And it's sort of uh, up. It's up against. You hear Julian Assange speaking, and then it's up against the way the media, not just the media, but the government, uh, are sort of working in cahoots to stop guys like Julian Assange. Let me play a clip quick clip here it is by making publishing cheap that permits many more people to become publishers that permits many more different voices but that's where the internet has really excelled wikileaks has published a lot of information about war about militaries how they behave intelligence organizations and that information often comes as a surprise to the public it's because the public has been lied to United States do something to stop Mr. Assange. We're looking at that right now. Mr. Connell says he's a high-tech terrorist. Others say this is akin to the Pentagon Papers. Where you come I would argue that it's closer to being a high-tech terrorist than the, than the Pentagon Papers. It's amazing. You've got the Vice President of the United States going on Meet the Press, NBC's Meet the Press, and calling Julian Assange a high-tech terrorist. That absolutely blew my mind the, the day that happened, and it still echoes uh, in my mind as you know, as as he's holed up in in an embassy in uh, in uh, Great Britain or in um, where the heck is he? In uh, London, isn't he? Yeah, he's right. He's uh, in London uh, inside the Ecuadorian embassy. He's been there for I think eight months now, and charged uh, with no crimes, just having the temerity to tell the tell the world what is going on uh, is just amazing. All right, l- let me back up a little bit, uh, Jean Philippe. You you start this film with a quote from Thomas Paine: "For when men yield up the privilege of thinking, the last shadow of liberty." Quits the horizon, and of course, that's the name of the film, Shadows of Liberty. What what drew you to that quote uh, initially, Jean Philippe? Well, really, we were just uh, uh, looking for uh, a title for the film, and uh, uh, we started doing some research uh, and came upon uh, uh, some iconic uh, uh, quotes and from the forefathers of uh, the United States, and we thought it was fitting to. Uh, call it Shadows of Liberty based on this quote because uh, uh, that's what it's all about. I mean, uh, that's what we ask out of journalism as well. It's to keep thinking, to keep asking critical questions, to keep power accountable. So uh, the, the quote seemed like a, a, a very fitting uh, uh, beginning to our film and also a title to our film as well. I want to go back to one of the uh, one of the uh, there's some terrific stories you tell in this film. One of them concerns uh, Roberta Baskin, reporter with CBS News back in the 90s, uh, when, and I, I remember this well, when we were getting information uh, about Nike and uh, the, the sort of the sweatshops they were using, the sweatshop conditions for their factories in, uh, in I think, Vietnam, is it? Uh, yeah. In East Asia, in any case. Um, and CBS began to report on this story uh, Nike began to respond and say they were looking into it. And then Roberta Baskin went out uh, to some of these factories and talked to some of the folks there about the conditions. And 
was about to break a, a couple of rather important reports, as I understand it, uh, when she was suddenly stopped by CBS. And I hadn't known about this, and to this day, apparently, CBS has not uh, has not covered this. Let me play a, a, an extended clip from this film, because, well, this is one of many extraordinary stories uh, in Shadows of Liberty. As Baskin was putting together the updated news report on Nike's labor practices, she received unexpected news from inside CBS. I got a call from my executive producer who said the story is not going to air. It's been taken off schedule. There's some sort of deal being made between Nike and CBS News for the upcoming Winter Olympics. The air went out of my soul. CBS News was paying an enormous amount of money for the rights. And so by definition, they would be seeking out commercial sponsors who would pour a lots of money into it so that they could recoup the millions that they were paying for the rights of the Olympics. The 18th Olympic Winter Games on CBS. As CBS revealed their Olympic coverage, the deal between Nike and CBS was plain to see. Correspondent after correspondent are wearing these Nike jackets on the air with a little CBS something or other. You really couldn't read it in a big swoosh on the shoulder. That was the deal. Nike had convinced CBS News to turn its correspondence into billboards. It was heartbreaking. The CBS News correspondents were furious. They had to wear the Nike parkas whenever they appeared on air. It's just not done. Baskin wrote a memo requesting CBS management to take the Nike logo off the correspondence. CBS had crossed this incredible line. How do you trust serious stories when you're seeing the reporter wearing a bunch of logos? Immediately, the president of CBS News responded, saying this was a breach of professional etiquette. It meant that I should shut up. How dare I raise a question about the integrity of CBS News? After questioning the deal with Nike, Baskin was removed from her position as the chief correspondent of CBS News. It wasn't an ordinary transfer, a change. It was a demotion. And it was a demotion that it was, a, a, was to send a message. Message received. That's from, uh, that's from Shadows of Liberty, which uh, premieres this Friday on KCET, uh, here in Southern California and Link TV across the country, I believe. Uh, Jean-Philippe, uh, the filmmaker is with us. I- is that the first known instance of that happening? Because I think people will see that story and, you know, we see this all the time now where you have the, uh, the sponsorships, these corporate sponsorships tied up with the networks. Um, and I don't even think people think twice about it and uh, the effect that it may have on some of these uh, some of these newsrooms. Was that the first such instance that was uh, so blatant like that back in uh, back in the 90s? I think 96. Um, I don't know if it was the first instance, but it, it's certainly uh, uh, something that's that. Uh, uh, journalists are confronted more and more, and especially in the last 30 years, and like you say, especially now. And what we just uh, heard right there, uh, the clip uh, from Shadows of Liberty, 
is, is basically uh, how we tell our story of media monopoly in the United States. We went out and we found journalists, uh, and not any journalists, uh, someone like Roberta Baskin. She was chief correspondent at CBS News for a number of years. She's one of the most awarded female journalists in the United States. She has something like over 75 journalistic awards from the United States. So when she goes out and does a report, she knows exactly what she's doing, and she's been awarded for it. Mm-hmm. So in this case, she goes out and, and does a report on, on uh, Nike uh, sweatshops uh, in Vietnam. And as we heard, uh, she's, she, uh, her story is taken off the air. It's taken off the, ske- the schedule. Uh, the American public cannot know uh, the research and the report that she's conducted. And uh, I guess that was our goal, really, was to tell our stories uh, uh, through personal uh, stories. So we have journalists throughout the film that uh, have an idea or that are struck by uh, corruption, either government corruption or corporate corruption. They try to report it, and they're stopped by the very powers uh, that that control the media. Was she given uh, a reason for uh, at the time that her reports could not go out? Um, I mean, like she's like we we uh, said here in the clip, uh, uh, she said that um, she was uh, her boss said that she was breaking professional etiquette, you know. And what what she said is she that meant that she should shut up. You know, so when you question mm-hmm. uh, editors, uh, when you question heads of the media, uh, then uh, you, you suffer the consequences, and uh, and that's exactly what happened to Roberta Baskin. And that shows, uh, you know, sort of the the media, the the uh, the corporations beginning to merge with the media, even at CBS, which you know, uh, founder of Bill Paley used to regard the CBS News division as the jewel in the uh, in the Tiffany. Uh, network's crown he knew it was not there to make money it was there to uh you know for prestige essentially but that all obviously began to change you cover the uh uh sort of you know what happened when reagan came into office and his background with uh with general electric and how to him merging uh, the corporation General Electric together with RCA was not really a concern. That was a success. That was something that he wanted to see and it, you know, resulted in uh, these mergers that began under him, the end of the fairness doctrine that continued through the Telecommunications Act under, under Bill Clinton. It continues today under Barack Obama and his woeful FCC, uh, head Julian, uh, Janikowski, who I believe is leaving or has already left. But uh, here's another clip from, uh, from Shadows of Liberty. Uh, about the mergers that began in the 1980s under Ronald Reagan. One merger symbolized the takeover of mass media by conglomerates seeking ever higher profits. For General Electric, here is Ronald Reagan. Good evening on this last Sunday before Christmas. The Christmas season is a time for the family. So People should remember that Ronald Reagan was funded by large corporations. And so... Suddenly we saw a radical transformation of the media system in the United States. General Electric and RCA, two of America's biggest and best-known companies, in a dramatic move last night, the two announced plans to merge this high-tech, multi-billion-dollar Wall Street wedding, complete with a major television network. 
will now have the strongest network. We'll have a stronger defense piece. This is going to be one dynamite company. The Reagan administration approved General Electric's purchase of major media holdings, despite ongoing violations of industry laws and practices. Yes, he did, and that has only gotten worse since uh, since the 80s, and since that merger, we've got fewer and fewer companies. Jean-Philippe, you mentioned earlier uh, that the Shadows of Liberty was actually completed last year, early last year, January of 2012, and it is finally seeing its, uh, its U.S. premiere this week. Uh, what kind of pro- did, did did you attempt to get theatrical distribution in this country, or did you know that that was something that was probably not going to happen uh, at all with a film like this? Uh, well, I guess uh, yeah, we did we did finish uh, the film uh, a year ago. Uh, we had our, our world premiere uh, in Toronto at the documentary film festival called Hot Docs. It's the biggest. In, in America, the mm-hmm. biggest uh, documentary film festival in America. And since then, we've gone, uh, you can say, around the world with the film, in film festivals. Uh, uh, we've been in, in, in what I call the, the biggest uh, uh, documentary film festival in the world, which is uh, uh, the International Documentary Film Festival in Amsterdam. So we've been all around the world uh, with the film. Uh, but we were not accepted in, in uh, the large and medium-sized uh, documentary film festivals or film festivals in the United States. What we do say in the film... Uh, you, wait, you are, let me jump, jump uh, let me ask, you're saying that the film festivals in the U.S., the independent film festivals did not even welcome you, never mind commercial distribution, uh, you know, at the, uh, uh, the AMC theaters and everywhere else. But you're saying the film festivals in the U.S. didn't even want to uh, accept this film? Uh, we, we applied at, uh, at uh, most of the, the large and medium-sized film festivals in the United States. And uh, we were not invited uh, to the film festivals. We were invited to give credit to some of the smaller film festivals, uh, Fallbrook in, in California, which I think starts in a couple weeks' time, and also Nashville. Uh, but other than that, uh, we were not accepted uh, in the United States. And that was a, a bit of a surprise at the beginning because, uh, like I say, we have uh, 38 uh, cast members in the film, all of them are American, except for Julian Assange, uh, who is Australian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have 37 of the most cutting-edge uh, journalists in the United States, and uh, uh, you mentioned uh, some of them at the top of your show, and they're just uh, amazing contributors. And in that last clip, we had John Nichols from Nation Magazine, Dan Rather, uh, Dan Ellsberg is in this film. I, I got to tell you, uh, Jean-Philippe, I'm I'm somewhat stunned. I figured you might have trouble with commercial distribution of the film, but are these uh, film festivals now in the U.S. just so tied up themselves with commercial interest and commercial sponsorship that they did not want to touch this film? I mean, that's a good question to ask. I mean, a bit like the the Roberta Baskin example that we just talked about. It's not like anyone comes up and says, uh, uh, you know, you cannot report your story because uh, it's hurting our sponsors. 
You know, they won't say it that way. Uh, I have to say that I always got uh, a lot of accolades uh, uh, about the film from uh, all the film festivals in the United States, but the bottom line was that there wasn't enough room in their uh, <laughs> oh, program for, for this film. So what we have done now is that uh, uh, we are going to premiere for the very first time in the United States uh, in Denver. That's tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, April the 4th. Uh, we are going to kick off the, uh, the uh, media reform conference in Denver that's held by uh, Free Press. So uh, that's a real honor for us. Uh, they've been a huge inspiration uh, in the making of this film. Uh, and again, that was founded by, like you said, uh, John Nichols and mm-hmm. Robert McChesney and uh, Josh Silver. Uh, so we're very proud to do that. And it's also going to premiere on uh, Link TV and uh, uh, KCET uh, in the U.S. as of uh, tomorrow evening. Yeah, and and uh, and streamed online at shadows.kcetlink.org. Let me see if I have uh, some time just for uh, one more clip or two here before I got to let you go, Jean-Philippe. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm just floored by the fact, you know, because I've seen the film. This is not a second-rate film. This is not a uh, James O'Keefe production made in somebody's basement. This is a professional uh, production, a smart story. Uh, I know it took you several years to make. I know you interviewed me for the for this uh, documentary. I think it was already three years ago, uh, and that it was turned down by so many film festivals in the U.S. I think is perhaps the most troubling point of our discussion. To be frank, here today, let me let me play a. Uh one clip, um, uh, listeners, uh, readers of bradblog.com will probably know some of this story. Uh, folks here on the Bradcast will know I've interviewed uh, Sibel Edmonds. Uh, speaking of the mainstream media who wants nothing to do with so many of these stories, let me play a uh, one more clip here from Shadows of Liberty. Uh, you'll hear my voice uh, at the beginning and then uh, I think a few other times uh, throughout this, but this is what I call, as you'll see, the the mother of all scandals. And, uh, well, maybe this is why you're not welcome in anybody's film festival. Let's find out. Here's a clip from Shadows of Liberty. This is the mother of all scandals. International finance, nuclear weapons, spying. And yet, New York Times, Washington Post, AP, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, all of them apparently couldn't give a damn about this story. In the wake of 9-11, the media focused its attention on terrorism. The threat of nuclear weapons falling into the hands of terrorists is real. This is scary for people. The idea that that a terrorist or a criminal enterprise could come up with a nuclear weapon or even a dirty bomb. This was about four or five days after the September 11 terrorist attack when the FBI was asking people with language abilities to join the Bureau. Sibel Edmonds would have been listening to evidence of criminal activity, corruption issues. The FBI was also looking at proliferation of of nuclear materials, weapons transfers, weapons sales that were illegal. I think the marshal broke in on 
One of the investigations by the FBI led toward Turkish groups involved in nuclear espionage. What I was reviewing was not only in foreign language, a lot of them in fact were in English. It involved people from the State Department talking to the targets of these operations. What Edmonds allegedly heard were conversations about the exchange of U.S. nuclear secrets between a Turkish group and Mark Grossman, a high-ranking State Department official. Mark Grossman's conversation with the Turks was very definitely against U.S. interests. It also was a crime because there were other conversations indicating that he had taken money from the Turks. So that is a clear issue of corruption in the U.S. government. Edmonds discovered the alleged illegal sale of U.S. nuclear secrets. She's talking about stolen secrets sold on the black market to, frankly, enemies of the U.S. Iran, Libya, North Korea, potentially even Al-Qaeda. This is happening in the highest level of the U.S. government. When she reported her discovery to the heads of the FBI, their reaction was unexpected. The assistant director of the FBI coming and boldly asking not to report this any further, that this was explosive and uh, just asking me to forget and move on. When she continued to raise questions at the FBI, Edmonds was fired with no explanation. So you're firing me without providing me with any reasons. And the response was, no, we're not firing you. We're terminating you. There's a big difference. <laughs> she took the FBI to court for wrongful termination and the administration responded by silencing her under law. This absurd state secrets privilege is absolute, and it requires no evidence. Absurd indeed. You'll have to uh, go watch Shadows of Liberty to hear the rest of that story, uh, or you can comb through the archives at bradblog.com, where uh, we have been dealing with that story for many years. And we're talking about, as I said in, in that clip, uh, you know, nuclear secrets that go to the highest level of government. I do believe it is the mother of all scandals. Uh, and yet... You talk about Jean-Philippe in the in the film that this story was covered all over the country. I'm sorry, all over the world, front pages all over the world, yet not here in the U.S. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I mean, we call that story in the film, it's entitled The Silence. And what we're talking about is silence stories, important stories that we should know as a population, as American citizens, yet it is not covered, it is ignored by the mainstream media. And while that's happening, other countries around the world are having those very same stories on their front pages, in their headlines. And that's the problem uh, with the media uh, in the United States, is that there's a lot of information uh, uh, that's happening every day around the world, but for some reason, the hardest place to get the information is in the United States, and it's a bit like what we were talking about just earlier about my film. Mm -hmm. I've made a film, um, along with my team, uh, about the United States, about American journalism, and the one place that's 
hard to to screen it to get it shown is in the United in the United States itself. It's taken us a year to finally get to the United States, and once again, that's why I'm so happy to be talking to you today. And we're going to premiere the film tomorrow in Denver and um, on Link TV and on. K-C-E-T. Shadow, Shadows of Liberty, the media monopoly in American journalism. Uh, we've been speaking with Jean-Philippe Tremblay, the filmmaker of that uh, remarkable documentary, which is apparently not uh, welcome in the U.S. until now. It will premiere uh, this Friday at 8 p.m., both Pacific and Eastern, on uh, KCET here in Los Angeles, as well as nationwide on Link TV. That's Dish Channel 9410 and Direct TV Channel uh, 375. Uh, it may be a, di- uh, a different number in your hometown. Please give it a look. It begins also streaming for free online here in the U.S. and everywhere else at shadows.kcetlink.org. You can also watch clips from the film uh, there. And I'll tell you what, uh, Jean-Philippe, I'm going, going to do my best to help get the word out about this film because I think it's a remarkable film and even made more remarkable uh, the trouble you've been having getting it out uh, to, to a, an audience in the United States of America, of all places. Uh, Jean-Philippe, I hope to talk to you soon in the future. Thank you, sir, for all your good work on this, and uh, and good luck breaking into the U.S. here. Well, th- thank you so much, uh, Brad, for having me on, for being part of the film. The film we've dedicated to one of the greatest American journalists ever, Ben Bigdickian, uh, uh, whose uh, book, uh, The New Media Monopoly, we, we were really inspired by to make this film, and we've dedicated the film to him and to all journalists uh, whom we consider are the heroes of our time. And uh, I also want to say that we are also screening the film in theaters, uh, or in a theater in Los Angeles on April the 13th, coming up, and that's through New Filmmakers Los Angeles. So look that up, and hopefully we'll see you in Los Angeles on April the 13th as well to see the film in a theater in Hollywood uh, uh, up in California. I'd love to see you there. I'm going to do my best to get there. Uh, check Thank it out at so shadows.kcetlink.org uh, and get more information at shadowsofliberty.org. Thanks, Philippe. Thank you. You can't allow this country to go down for the count because some guys on Wall Street can't make money producing garbage news. The media is that kind of issue where if we want it to be better, we have to fight for it. These are the critical battles we face right now in the United States and frankly in countries around the world. This is really about having a conversation about what kind of decisions we want made in our name. That's really what will save us, is when we really know what's going on, not filtered through the lens or the microphone of a corporation. Not filtered through the lens. You're listening to the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. That was, of course, Amy Goodman uh, from Shadows of Liberty. You're going to want to check out that film. We're going to take a quick break. Come back with some more stories not filtered through the corporate uh, lens. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay with us. This week on Smiley and West from PRI. Renaissance man, our dear brother Melvin Van Peebles. How did you come up with this name, Laxative, for the band? Because uh, the music gets you going. (laughs) 
<laughs> Melvin Van Peebles. Next time on Smiley and West. From PRI. Smiley and West, Saturday morning at 11, right here on 90.7 FM, KPFK. Next time on L.A. Theater Works. A macho ex-football player sees the sport's effort to reduce concussions as a sign of weakness. Take away hitting from football and you know what you get? Checkers. Ernie Hudson and Daedri Henry star in Headstrong by Patrick Link. Next time on L.A. Theater Works. L.A. Theater Works, Thursday evenings at 7 on Southern California Pacifica Radio, KPFK. Yeah, this is not the Colbert Report. This is your broadcast on KPFK. There's a reason I'm playing the uh, Stephen Colbert theme song there. I'm going to get to that in a moment. I forgot to mention, uh, you can tweet me at the Brad blog. Uh, you can also, of course, find me at bradblog.com. I am Brad Friedman. Uh, I just heard from uh, Angela Carusoni. He's Go Angelo on uh, the Twitters. I believe he is the man behind the Stop Rush movement. Thanks, Angelo. He uh, was uh, tweeted me about the uh, that documentary, Shadows of Liberty. Says this is terrifying. You're damn right it is. <sighs> Be terrified. Uh, all right, before I get to uh, this Colbert story, uh, Radio Unnameable is a documentary film about freeform radio pioneer WBAI's Bob Fass playing a limited run at the Arena Cinema Theater here in Los Angeles, uh, 1625 North Las Palmas in Hollywood, just around the corner from the Egyptian Theater. It uh, Radio Unnameable starts this Friday, April 5 through 11th, it's a special benefit for the Pacifica Radio Archives. That's right. It's the Pacifica Radio Archives, uh, not corporate controlled, but rather radio by and for the people over our public airwaves. Radio Unnameable. Get more information on that at kpfk.org. Okay. Uh, Stephen Colbert's sister, as I said at the top of the show, her sister, Eliz- his sister, Elizabeth Colbert Bush, really how you pronounce her name is Colbert, uh, is running as a Democrat in South Carolina. She has gotten the nomination from the Democratic Party for the U.S. House special election, which will be held on May 7th uh, in the first congressional district in the great Palmetto State. She will now be running against Mark Sanford, the former governor, the um, Disgraced former governor who is, uh, now, uh, happily engaged to the man, to the man, to the, he's not that disgraced, um, <laughs> to the, to the woman that he left his wife for while he was governor. He will, uh, be running against Colbert Bush next month. Sanford was named the winner of his GOP runoff yesterday, Tuesday in South Carolina. It's going to be an interesting race for a number of reasons. Among them, the first district in South Carolina um, is a very Republican district, or at least it was in the 2012 election, or at least it was, if you believe, the voting machines that they use out there in South Carolina, which happen to be 100% unverifiable. I think um, Obama lost something like 55-45 in that district 
back in uh, in November of 2012. And yet, Elizabeth Colbert Bush, at least as of now, according to two separate polls, is about three points in front of the Republican Mark Sanford. It will be very interesting what happens on May 7th. The problem is, whatever happens on May 7th, uh, if uh, she ends up losing, if she ends up losing by a landslide, if she ends up losing by two votes, there will not be a damn thing that she can do about it. Why? Well, South Carolina, you may remember South Carolina. That's the place that back in to, uh, 2010 in the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate. A man by the name of Alvin Green, an unemployed, nearly illiterate man who no one had ever heard of, who had no campaign website, who had done no campaigning at all, ended up being named the winner of the uh, Democratic primary for the U.S. Senate when he was running against Vic Rawl, a man who had uh, campaigned across the state, had uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in his campaign war chest, had been a three-term state senator, a former circuit court judge, and yet Alvin Green, remember him? Alvin Green was named the winner. When Vic Rawl tried to challenge that race, he found there was nothing he could do about it because South Carolina uses 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. It didn't matter that there was no reason, that nobody could come up with a legitimate reason, uh, a, a political reason that Alvin Green might have won, might have defeated Vic Rawl, a guy that uh, you know people actually knew. So Alvin Green went on to be destroyed in the uh, in in the 2010 election by Senator Jim Dement, the incumbent there. Who ended up retiring uh, early last year to head the Heritage Foundation, and uh, that's why we now have this open house seat because the person who uh, was named by the Republican Governor Nikki Haley to uh, Jim Dement's Senate seat, Tim Scott, vacated that seat, and now we've got this race coming up in May between Colbert Bush, Stephen Colbert's sister, and Mark Sanford. And I just kind of want to get that on the map. I just kind of want to get it out there so you know, uh, you, you know the numbers right now. You know that, uh, Colbert Bush is defeating the, uh, the former governor in three different, I'm sorry, two different polls by several points. Um, maybe we'll talk about that in the week ahead and see if there's anything, anything at all that can be done about it. The problem is with the voting machines they use, there is damn near nothing. And I spoke with Vic Rawl, again, the guy who lost to Alvin Green. I spoke with him earlier this week, and he told me, he said, Brad, you know what? I'm going to make sure that Elizabeth Colbert Bush knows about your story, the story you wrote on this. And I've got a good deal more details at bradblog.com. He said, I'm going to make sure she knows about it. But in truth, uh, you know as well as I do, even if she knows about it, there's almost nothing. There's not a darn thing that can be done. That's democracy in America. Speaking of democracy in America, before we go to Desi Doyen and the Green News, she's coming up in a moment. Last uh, last November, uh, well, last fall, really, we covered the GOP voter registration fraud scandal that had broken across uh, Florida. We were the first ones here to have uh, the Palm Beach County Registrar on the air talking about hundreds of Registration forms that had been turned in by the Republican Party that had been collected by 
a Republican firm that had been created at the behest of the RNC, uh, headed up by a guy who had uh, several companies who had done registration before and was, uh, over the years, going back to 2004, he'd worked with Bush Cheney, he worked with McCain Palin, he worked this year with Romney, and every time his companies would turn in fraudulent registration forms. Well, we've got a new update in that case. Uh, Colin Small, a Republican Party voter registration supervisor who secretly tossed filled out voter registration forms into a dumpster dumpster up in Virginia. He was arrested. He had been hired by uh, Nathan Sprawl's company, Strategic Allied Consulting, the one hired by the Republican Party. Uh, he had been arrested for tossing out these voter registration forms, charged with 13 counts, including eight felonies and five misdemeanors. The Virginia Attorney General uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who's now running for governor up there, Republican, far-right-wing Republican, had said he would be investigating uh, the Commonwealth Attorney assigned to the case uh, locally has a great number of conflicts of interest. She was investigating the Repub- essentially re- investigating the local Republican Party that helped her get elected. Colin Small, Colin Small was working for that party, and uh, in the days just before he was arrested, Ken Cuccinelli, the state attorney general, had uh, had come by to the uh, GOP, local GOP office there in Harrisonburg, Virginia, to give them a pep talk. And, of course, Colin Small was there. All kinds of conflicts of interest in this case. And yet it moved forward. These guys did not recuse him, themselves. And what do we learn? On Tuesday, uh, the eight felony charges were dropped against Mr. Small. He still re- uh, faces the five Misdemeanor charges, but for some reason, the felony charges went away entirely. And uh, if you look at this, uh, one uh, blogger uh, who's uh, very uh, excellent at Virginia politics says this entire matter does not pass the laugh test. So I'm going to point you over to bradblog.com for more details on that so we can get to the uh, Green News report. But I just wanted to update you on that story. I suspect we'll have more updates in the days ahead, um, courts had they worked for Acorn, they'd be in jail by now. They'd be deported by now. But no, it was the Republican firm that is actually committing voter registration fraud. So uh, let's try not to notice, shall we? All right, let's do some green news. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things never blending in with ordinary things the lovely desi doyan joins us now hey des hey i'm actually finding it's pretty easy to be green is that right yeah if you just make some personal changes here and there it's a gradually evolving process are you suggesting we need to find you a new theme song no i miss kermit too much okay all right well let's we do, all love that too much. we do indeed let's get to the latest green news report then we've got a follow-up if we have time on the back end of this green news report so that is a pipeline that is busted and is flooded the neighborhood. Will major tar sands pipeline spill in Arkansas doom the Keystone XL? I need your help to communicate the gravity and the urgency of this situation. NASA scientist James Hansen steps down to step up activism. 
The U.S. Supreme Court smacks down another big oil lawsuit. Plus, score one for breathers. EPA's new rules cut air pollution. This new proposal uh, is going to be an all-pain and no-gain kind of regulation. But Republicans are against it. Of course they are. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I've led the efforts in the House to support the Keystone XL pipeline. Great, then we'll know who to blame. Republican Congressman Lee Terry from Nebraska. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi, over the past two weeks, we have seen oil spills in Arkansas, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and not just any old oil spills, but the sticky, gooey tar sands oil that the Canadians and the Republicans and too many Democrats want to run through the Keystone XL pipeline. I know. It's all about Canada getting the profits and America getting the pollution. But we'll get to that in a moment. First, the science is clear. I need your help to communicate the gravity and the urgency of this situation and its solutions. America's top climate scientist, Dr. James Hansen, has announced he is retiring from NASA this week after 46 years, and he's leaving the agency to spend more time with politics, literally. The 72-year-old Hansen says he'll focus on full-time activism and intensify his political and legal efforts to limit greenhouse gas emissions because it's that important. And James Hansen, isn't he the one that's always quoted when people talk about the dangers of the Keystone Pipeline? Yes, he's the one that has said that if the Canadian Canadian tar sands are fully exploited, it'll be game over for the climate. Oh, well, nothing to worry about. So this happened. The smell is unbelievable. I mean, look. Incredible. And that is oil. On Friday, a 60-year-old ExxonMobil pipeline carrying heavy tar sands oil from Canada ruptured under a housing subdivision in Mayflower, Arkansas, spilling an estimated 84,000 gallons of tar sands crude and forcing the evacuation of 22 homes and killing wildlife. Cleanup operations and state and federal investigations are underway. The Arkansas pipeline spill came just two days, as you mentioned, after another tar sands spill, a train derailment that spilled over 15,000 gallons of tar sands crude in Minnesota. These most recent tar sand spills have intensified criticism of the proposed Keystone XL pipeline, which we should note would carry 10 times the amount of heavy tar sands crude across the Midwest as that pipeline that broke in Arkansas. Glenn Hooks, executive director of Sierra Club Arkansas, explains why tar sands are even worse than regular oil on MSNBC. This is a much bigger mess than just a simple crude spill. This is much heavier, it's much thicker, it's much dirtier, and therefore a lot more dangerous. So if it gets in the waterways, uh, it's going to sink, it's not going to float. And so you're talking about a potentially uh, disastrous dredging process. That all happened over the Easter Passover holiday weekend. I guess we're going to have to find out whether politicians actually even noticed it and what effect it's going to have now on these continuing calls to build the Keystone XL pipeline. More pollution news. On Friday, the Obama Environmental Protection Agency proposed new rules to cut air pollution by reducing the amount of sulfur in gasoline, among other cuts that would begin in 2017. The new standards would increase the price of gasoline by a few pennies and the price of new cars by $130 in the year 2030. Outrageous. And would save billions in health care costs every year. But Republicans and the oil industry slammed the new draft rules, saying saving 
lives was too expensive. Okay, they didn't really say that, but they did say that the cost would be too high for consumers and there would not be enough benefit. Tyson Slocum of Public Citizen says that's typical of the industry. If you don't want to uh, embark upon uh, the required necessary investments in refining infrastructure, you paint a doom and gloom scenario that is uh, in excess of what the actual costs are going to be. They do this all the time. It's going to kill the industry. It's going to kill jobs. It's going to kill the economy. And then it never really does. does no, it? it never does. But score another one for anyone who breathes. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday rejected another lawsuit brought by Big Oil's biggest lobbyist, the American Petroleum Institute, against new air pollution standards that were issued by Obama's EPA. So this was a suit by the petroleum industry against these rules, and the Supreme Court said, nope, they stand as is? That's right. They're going to let the lower court ruling stand, which says, yes, the EPA can do this. For all of that and more on the oil spills all over the place over the last couple of weeks as the Keystone XL pipeline pipe dream hits homes, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Remember, download us on iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in, like us on the Facebook, and follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Here we go. Clean up. Clean up. Girls and boys, let's Well done, Des. Thanks. There's an update to that Exxon, Arkansas pipeline spill story. It turns out that Exxon, because that pipeline was carrying tar sands, diluted bitumen, as it is known, or bitumen, uh, they don't have to pay into the oil spill recovery fund. They don't have to pay that tax because diluted bitumen is not considered to be crude oil. The- Really? Yeah. You know, and if people look, we got the video on our website. If people look at this, tell me this is not crude oil. And this is what's supposed to be. Oh, yeah, it's supposed to be in the Keystone XL pipeline across the Ogallala Aquifer in Nebraska. That's a problem. Unbelievable. We'll have more on that in tomorrow's Green News Report, which uh, hopefully you'll grab at uh, iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio or... Bradblog.com. Oh, yeah, we'll have it there, too. All right, thank you, Desi. Great job. Uh, thank you uh, for producing, as usual, today. Thanks also to Super Duper Associate Producer Margot Paez, to uh, G on the soundboard, doing a great job as ever. Stay tuned, by the way, for the legendary 80-year-old Bob Fass. Speaking of Radio Unnameable, he will be joining John Wiener on the 4 o'clock report just seconds from now. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, and, by the way, don't forget, take a look at Shadows of Liberty, if you can. Go to shadows.kcetlink.org. Uh, also, uh, check your local listings for uh, Link TV nationwide and KCET here in Southern California on Friday. It's an extraordinary documentary. My thanks to Jean-Philippe Tremblay for joining us here today. Until next week, we'll see you same time, same Brad time, same Brad channel, and at bradblog.com or on the Twitters at the Bradblog. I'm Brad Friedman on the Bradcast. Good night, America. America.